Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm sitting and having a chat with Arif Vora, who's Commercial Director at Verido. Oh, sorry, Verido. <laughs> Very funny. The world's first independent measurement and verification platform for digital out-of-home media. Welcome, Arif. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, don't you pronounce it Verido? V-E-R-I-D-O-O-H? Verido. <laughs> we, well, that's, that's one way of looking at it, but, um, you know, it's verifying digital out-of-home. So that's, uh, that's we'd like to say, do. So uh, this is a bit of a return for you to the out-of-home medium because it is. Uh, your career started there, didn't it? I did. I started out uh, selling um, you know, what you used to call uh, six sheets and 48 sheets and 96 sheets back in the UK for uh, uh, companies such as um, JC Deco uh, a long time ago. And interestingly enough, our company didn't set out to be a uh, digital verification business. We also set out to be a digital out-of-home business, jumping on the uh, the bandwagon of uh, growth within the digital medium. And we're taking um, our product out to proof of concept and talking to media agencies. And one of the key questions that we kept getting back was, looks great, but how do I know my ads run? Uh, so we very soon realized that this was a challenge that we had to solve, otherwise we wouldn't have a business. Uh, hence, uh, going away and coming up with our proprietary technology, Smart Creative. Um, and we realized that we'd not only just solved our problems uh, in terms of um, proof of display, but the wider industry uh, challenge, especially within digital out of home. Um, and then it was a very, very simple decision as to whether we had, whether we decided to go forward with a digital out of home business or um, potentially a global, world's first digital verification business, and we chose the latter. Because back in the day, mm. when it was posters being actually posted to a site, mm. um, you verified it by sending or paying someone to go around and take photos of it, you know, in mm. situ. Mm. Um, and that was reasonably accurate if you could afford to get them to cover the whole buy, mm. because it was usually up there for 30 days. But I imagine in the digital world, where you can serve and ads change in mm. real time, it'll be much harder. I mean, the poor person's got to sit there for 24 hours, don't they, taking photos? Well, I suppose, yes. The, the only way that you would be able to safely uh, say that you've got a full picture of what's going up on that screen is literally standing there for, not just for 24 hours, because it could change in the 25th hour, uh, mm. is to have someone, someone stood in front of every single screen for the full duration of your campaign, which is just physically impossible. Um, and our, our software allows us to capture every single impression delivered um, across every single site that that creative execution is running, um, which shines a fantastic light of transparency uh, upon the medium um, and is really um, what we think is uh, just do does show uh, showcase just how effective and, uh, and how transparent out of home can be. Because, mm. uh, you know, this is actually going to encourage advertisers to use digital out of home because of, they'll know that they are getting what they're paying for. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, trust 
between um, buyer and seller always engenders further investment. And what we've found is um, across the board with clients and the media owners that we've worked with, there has been um, significant uh, increasing uh, levels of trust between both parties and that has led to further levels of investment, uh, which is only a good thing for us. Uh, you know, we're here to help grow the medium and to show just how transparent we are. And the beauty of this is that we've been out of home digital has been a lot quicker to come to the party uh, than say the online environment, which still has brand safety. Uh, and display issues which they can't solve. Whereas we don't have any of that and we're already uh, coming to market with a verification piece um, a long way um, quicker into our development process than the online marketplace. It's interesting you should say that. I read a report last week where um, Google have come out and said they do not think they will ever make YouTube 100% brand safe. They'll get close, but they said they cannot get to a point where they can guarantee brand safety on YouTube. Which which I think is bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not an issue that we have to face in our home, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because I think this also increases the creative opportunities. You know, the, the uh, I re- always remember as a creative, you know, the time it would take to do the artwork mm. and get the artwork printed into big format and then actually get posted, mm. which is why it used to be a minimum of, you know, a month buy. You mm. had to buy a site for a month mm. because it was so much work and effort uh, for teams of workmen to go around and actually post these sites everywhere. Absolutely. And then on top of that, the, the really amazing creative executions that uh, we have seen in Out of Home over the years were limited to just one or two locations because the cost involved of sticking a car uh, onto a billboard or as you know putting a plane through was just cost prohibitive whereas with digital media uh, production costs are really basically minimal Um, and the opportunity to communicate one-on-one in very different ways in multiple creative executions across uh, different periods of a day uh, mean that the, the scope is much greater than it's ever been. Uh, Reef, you know, you, you amaze me at your naivety. You only <laughs> need one poster <laughs> to be able to enter it into a creative award. Well, there is that. But uh, you, you do remind me of uh, Colin Haycock, who was a, a, an excellent uh, group account director at an agency called Mattingly that I worked mm. at. And uh, Colin had a poster of great outdoor, yeah. out of home, and uh, the reason it was up there, you know, it had amazing, some of those examples that mm. you just mentioned there. And the reason he had it there was he said he would look at it before he'd go and present any creative work mm. and remind himself that if an account man could sell in that work, then he must be able to sell the work that's in front of him. Mm. You know? And he used that to inspire himself mm. to be able to go and sell great creative work. Mm. And that's, that, that's the beauty of outdoor because it stands and falls on its own. It, you know, it hasn't got the, the benefit of content enveloping it uh, to drive audience to it. Uh, so it's all about the creative execution. And a great creative execution will always, always cut through, which is one of the reasons why I've always loved the medium. Well, um, it used to be a standard in agencies that you would test an idea on its ability to be a poster. 
you know, a mm. piece of out of out mm. of home or outdoor, because you there's a discipline of having an image mm. and a very short headline. Mm. So it would pass the what they call it, the sixty mile an hour test. Yes. You know, if you drove past it at sixty miles an hour, first of all, it had stopping power mm. and it communicated. Yeah. So I think that. I wonder if television and, you know, because we hear and see so often agencies are obsessed with, you know, writing the TV script. Mm. And yet, in a way, it doesn't have that sort of clarity and that simplicity of an idea. Absolutely. I mean, I remember years ago uh, in the UK, I went to um, a seminar that was hosted by Trevor Beatty, um, a very famous creative in the UK who basically made his mark um, with the Wonder Bar Creative. Uh, and his... Oh, that was the Hello Boys. Hello Boys, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, his basic principles um, for designing a, a creative execution for outdoor were the kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, seven words or less. Um, and realised that people read a billboard in a Z, Z fashion. Uh, left to right, down and across again. And as long as he managed to adhere to those policies, uh, he knew that he would come up with impactful creative. And I think a lot of times we forget that and trying to trying to put, because it's a big screen, people try and put too much information on there uh, and it loses the impact. Uh, because as you say, the 60 mile an hour, 60 kilometer an hour test, you, know, you, you have not a lot of time, maybe 10 to 15 seconds of someone's attention uh, to, to really grab that. And I've, I always found that simpler the better always worked in out of home. Yeah, and, and the other one I liked about out of home is of when you think about all media available to you, mm. television, newspapers, radio, and all of the digital channels, they're all quite, even cinema, small groups of people mm. consume it together at the same time or mm. individually, mm. right? Out of home requires a brand to have a certain level of confidence mm. that it's willing to post itself up there yeah. publicly mm. where hundreds of thousands of people can potentially see it. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, a good campaign will stand or fall on the creative execution. You can buy a brilliant campaign, you can place it in all the great spots, uh, but unless the creative execution has that X factor to it, I think you, you can lose quite a lot um, of the power of the medium. The other um, challenge that uh, Out of Home or Outdoor has had is the audience count. Because mm. I can remember um, looking at uh, uh, doing out of home on some of the freeways in mm. Melbourne and Sydney, and it was just traffic counts, mm. you know, the, the number of cars that pass by. Mm. And yet I believe there's quite a bit of research and technology, a whole lot of, going, of effort going into starting to find a better way of counting audience. Absolutely. I mean, this uh, started... Um, actually in the UK uh, in the late 90s uh, with the introduction of their first audience uh, classification system which took uh, into account a multitude of factors uh, such as clutter, uh, other uh, street items that uh, took away from the impact, uh, ambient lighting, uh, whether the site was face-on or parallel to the curb, and distilled down that vehicular count 
um, from an opportunity to see to what they used to call a likelihood to see. Mm. That's been taken on uh, in Australia uh, by the OMA and we've got our own um, audience uh, classification system here called MOVE, um, which is again going to be redefined very soon to take into account digital um, large format and small format because obviously you've got executions up now for a certain part of a cycle uh, so that's been taken into account in the UK that's gone even further forward by using GPS data for uh, tracking um, a reasonable a robust sample in the US um, we're using mobile data mm. um, and I think Ultimately, what will happen is they will be developed a tool which overlays all of that information um, into one source. Yeah, because I've heard uh, four or five different streams, mm. as, as you've said, you know, and uh, uh, the mobile data, mm. you know, that when uh, a person comes within a certain distance of the site, mm. it actually me measures them at one. The other one that's interesting is I've heard from a couple of... Um, companies that are working towards facial recognition mm. from the point of view of people actually looking at the um, site so that, you know, there's a measure of, you know, it's not just a thousand people walk by, how many people actually turn their face to look at the site and then to use other data to work out the type of people that they were to give you some sort of demographic insight. Particularly in, and it's interesting because the application worked really well in shopping malls because mm. of the consistent lighting, you know, because you can imagine out of outdoor, mm. um, uh, you know, you get shadows or whatever. Mm. It didn't work so well. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's very powerful uh, in the shopping environment because, you know, if you can overlay uh, the facial recognition plus the mobile data, um, you've other, suddenly you've got not just who and where, but you can build heat maps of people's journeys. Uh, in and around the shopping centre mm. and the demographics that are available uh, to overlay. So you suddenly, you suddenly get a very good picture of I exactly who's doing what. I remember um, <coughs> someone recounting who was working on this project mm. that they set up a test in a shopping mall for their, it was their wife's birthday right. and they'd customised the creative. So mm. as she was walking through the shopping mall, it would recognise it because mm. they obviously had a lot of information mm. and it was putting up personalised messages as she walked through. Mm. And uh, it, a great example of you've got to be very careful about personalisation because she actually felt that it was a bit creepy, like she was being stalked by the um, poster site, sites in the shopping mall. I think you're absolutely right. There is a fine line. Um, and you know, we've got to be able to sort of uh, just stay on the right side of that. Um, but you know, technology is moving on at such a pace that that kind of interaction um, will soon be possible, um, where you can deliver an execution to a specific audience roadside and then tailor that message to the same audience once they migrate to another format, whether it's street furniture or whether it's um, retail, um, and then another message post-purchase, uh, if that's the cycle that you're after. Um, mm. And you know that technology very soon will be available to us. And again, that just adds, in my opinion, to the flexibility of the medium. Um, and it sort of does 
something that no other sort of medium can do, which is actually follow people where they go um, and really sort of communicate with them along the whole process of that journey. As you can see, I'm still still quite passionate about this. Without being creepy. Without being creepy, yes. (laughs) Yes, we're here following you. It's almost like that... uh, the uh, glasses for the optometrist mm. in The Great Gatsby. You That's know, right, so yeah. Just sitting there staring <laughs> at everything, observing the world and, and uh, the all-knowing eye. Yeah, perhaps not that level of um, <laughs> invasiveness, but I think, you know, being able to communicate people to people at various stages of a journey, I think, is going to be quite important to marketers. Yeah. So um, when early in the career, mm. um, you were selling uh, out of home. I was. Uh, I worked uh, in the UK uh, in the um, mid to late 90s up until uh, I came to Australia. They were working initially for a company called Maiden Outdoor, which then got bought by somebody else, which got bought by somebody else. Um, and then also after that to J- JC Deco, which ultimately ended up buying Maiden Outdoor. Um, from there, I followed a girl out to Australia. Uh, as one does. As one does. Um, and um, had a skill set having worked in the out-of-home industry in the UK, which was quite um, in demand here. So I ended up uh, getting a job uh, working for APN Outdoor. Um, also worked for i before I moved away from the medium. But you know what they say, you can uh, take the boy out of out-of-home, but you can't take out-of-home out of the boy. It's, uh, <laughs> it's ingrained in me, unfortunately. There's something about that story, which is, in a way, the consolidation that we've seen. Mm. You know, there has been massive consolidation um, of the industry. Do you think that's a plus or a minus? I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think that uh, the consolidation um, allows uh, for greater levels of investment um, because the big players have the financial wherewithal to actually really invest in the medium. And they've both, both the co and uh, O-Media have shown a desire to invest in the medium to drive it forward. And I think two people pulling in the same direction is very powerful, especially if they're as big as the, the two major players are. Well, and to invest in building the infrastructure for digital, mm. because you know it's not just putting up a frame that you stick uh, or, or stretch a yeah. skin over, it's actually a, pe- a large piece of technology. Absolutely, and I think that you know also has a barrier to entry uh, to perhaps some of the smaller, less reliable players. Um, having the where financial wherewithal to invest in the infrastructure is key, and not just invest in, in, in the infrastructure, but also then look forward uh, to see how that infrastructure can be utilized and used going forwards. And I think both companies have a medium to long-term view that perhaps a whole bunch of smaller uh, companies may not have had. Yeah, but we wouldn't want to get to the point where there was only one, would we? I mean, I, th- that could I think be Singapore. The- <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, you know, and, uh, there is a place, you know, and, and as you said earlier, um, Feridou was looking at actually mm. entering the market. So there's still opportunities for people to come in and offer an alternative. Absolutely, and I don't think you just you, need very deep pockets. Yeah, you do, <laughs> you do, um, and I think. One player in a market is never healthy. I think competition is a good thing. Um, so yes, there's absolutely um, opportunities, and there are you know there are lots of players because there are lots of different sectors within out of home. There's retail, there's cinema, then there's you know uh, the, the, even the smaller niche players, uh, gyms, uh, medical centres, all the way up to your 
spectacular on the um, M4. So there's various different plays uh, to be had within outdoor, but having two big voices uh, with deep pockets to invest in the medium, I think is a good thing for everybody. Mm. And it's also um, interesting how there's also been more of a standardization as well of these shapes that mm. are available. Um, because for a while there, there was all different shapes. You know, mm. People were sticking up uh, sites wherever they could sort of fit it into mm. the landscape. In fact, one of the ones that I never quite understood, have you ever caught the um, Tullamarine Freeway from the airport into Melbourne mm. and across every bridge, there's a poster that is the only thing creatively it would allow you to do is write a very long headline because it feels like it's about a metre deep and 20 metres wide. I know exactly the one. And, and, you know, sometimes if that's all you can put up and the market's there for it, you build it. Um, and, I, and I think, yeah, standardisation is uh, something that's happening uh, across the board. And I think the drive to a digital format has also helped that because everything has to be created in proportion to a certain, you know, length and width. And that helps with standardisation. Um, so, and also production costs, uh, which always used to be the greatest bugbear uh, of creative agency and client. Um, you know, if you have multiple dif multiple sites, multiple uh, formats, it just means that your production costs sometimes can actually match your media costs, which then makes it cost prohibitive. So I think the industry, even before digital media, had moved towards standardization because we knew that we needed to keep production costs at an acceptable level. Do you think, and, and I'm being honest here, mm. the out-of-home uh, industry mm. has had quite a murky past. Yeah. Um, do you think consolidation is helping uh, change that, making it a lot more professional? making it a lot more transparent? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, when you've got global or publicly listed companies owning um, product, uh, absolutely transparency has to be there. Um, layer that on top with um, independent companies like ourselves, uh, shining a further light of transparency on that, then absolutely the market is becoming a lot more accountable. Uh, which is only a only a good thing. Mm. Yeah. No. Uh, the, the reason. Yeah. No. The reason <laughs> I brought that up was that uh, you know there's been recently um, the the government, the ACCC, has yeah. been looking into the industry mm. around um, a, let's say dubious non-competitive practices, and yet uh, you know it, the industry itself has come from almost like a cowboy. Uh, reputation, mm -hmm. you know, where people could bung up sites, they just got the council, if that meant throwing a few bucks to the uh, council to get them to approve sites, mm. uh, lots of cash deals and things like that happening all over the place. Would you say that a lot of that's actually disappeared or is there still a cowboy element in the industry? Well, I, I, I think those are stories of um, days gone by. Um, I think now that the, you know, we're... we're we're a much more professional uh, industry. Uh, the, the days of the cowboys are long, long gone. Um, and you know, to be you know, we've the industry has fought really hard uh, to have to be viewed as um, 
accountable, professional, and have a seat at the table. Uh, and I think that the big players now are doing whatever they need to to make sure that we keep that seat at the table. Because mm. mm. it's quite different, isn't it, as a medium? Mm. You know, when you think about um, uh, television, they make TV programming yeah. Yeah. and then sell the spaces mm. in between. Newspapers write stories and sell space in between. Mm. Radio do radio programming. Mm. Then you get to digital. Most of those are taking other people's content. Mm. But out of home, is there's no content play here, is there? It's really just space and uh, being able to be seen because the content is the advertising. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why it is, in my opinion, one of the most creative mediums out there, as you said earlier. Um, you're not, there isn't a content play. It's just purely the message. Uh, so it's about is, providing the canvas. Correct. It's a blank canvas. Uh, we provide the blank canvas for the client um, to get their message across to people. And with technology, mm. especially digital technology, especially eliminating that expensive production part, shortening timelines, mm. the opportunities for advertisers are multitude, but you don't see them being used much these days. You know, you mentioned before temperature. Mm. I still waiting to see when, you know, we've just come through a summer in Australia where 40 degrees was hit quite mm. a few times. Didn't see a single bit of creative that said, it's 40 degrees, time to get, insert brand, air conditioning now, <laughs> or stop for a cool, refreshing mm. now. I, th I think part of that um, ha um, previously was uh, down to, I suppose, the, the medium getting to a critical mass where making that message uh, deliverable um, was viable. Uh, I think we're, we're at critical mass now. Um, but also, I what, think what was critical mass about in terms of number of sites? Yeah, but how many? Fifty percent, forty percent, or is it where, more important where the sites are? I think it's a combination of everything. There, yeah. uh, I think you know we are now uh, revenue-wise at fifty percent plus uh, within um, for digital out of home. Um, so I think we're that we're at the point where digital digital only campaigns can deliver that level of creativity. Mm. Um, I think there's also been a bit of lag um, in terms of from the other, the, the, the buy side, um, being able to sort of work that into their plans, whether it's uh, marketing-led uh, or client-agency-led. Uh, so I think, they're, you know, I think we're all finding our feet in terms of being able to figure out exactly what we can do with this medium, uh, especially the um, facet um, of creativity that's afforded by the technology we've now got to play with. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll probably find our level within the next uh, 18 to 24 months in terms of your, and you'll see more and more campaigns. And I, and I, and I do see more of them where you've got uh, interaction, one-to-one uh, -one communication, time sensitive, uh, you're right, so temperature sensitive in a country like Australia, you'd think that would be a, a no-brainer. A, a lay down the chair <laughs> there. No-brainer. No <laughs> um, and you're right, I think... You know, Especially as the temperature goes up, absolutely. you can have creative that goes, it's 32 degrees, <laughs> it's 35 degrees, it's the, yeah. If I'd have seen an air conditioning ad a couple of weeks ago, I think uh, <laughs> I would have definitely run out and bought myself a new aircon unit. Um, but yes, absolutely. I think um, the more 
ingrained into the normal buyer that digital becomes, the more people will realize they can do this within, within the campaigns. As, as the message is slowly filtering through all the way down from media and to creative. Because um, the other one is, um, you know, the geolocation. Mm. And, and it's been used really well by the, you know, quick service restaurants. Yes. So, you know, uh, another 20 kilometers mm. to mm. the next you know, mm. store or, you know, this is your last chance, five kilometres. Mm. I imagine when those sites become digital, they'll be able to do day part where they go, hmm, are you hungry? Did you miss breakfast? You know, you've got, uh, what, 30 more minutes before we stop serving breakfast or all day breakfast. Absolutely. I think um, geolocations t- um, coupled with multiple creative executions, multiple uh, sort of coupled with day part advertising will suddenly lead to very flexible campaigns that really allow uh, marketers to um, get uh, mixed messaging, various messages out to to the consumer over the whole course of a campaign, whether that campaign is a day, a week or a month. So is is it inevitable that all the sites will eventually become digital sites, do you think? Or do you think there'll still be a mix of the traditional poster Mm and digital sites? I think there'll always be a mix of the traditional poster and and digital site um, for a number of reasons. Um, Feasibility is one. Um, Council uh, regulations will be the other. Um, And and the feasibility side will be in two parts, which is, you know, ultimately the the industry will, will find its level in terms of the number of digital sites because having an ever expanding universe of sites um, will require us to have an ever-expanding universe of clients willing to, to go onto those sites. And eventually we'll find a level where it's, it's reached its maximum. Um, and there'll always be a requirement for the high-impact single-location sites. Like, you know, for example, the Glebe Island silo. I can't imagine that ever getting this Or the Nilex site in exactly. Melbourne. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, I can't imagine any Story of Story Bridge. Yes. Yeah. They'll never get digitized. Um, so, and, and, and nor should they, because I think they are wonderful sites in of themselves. Um, there's possibly an opportunity to set up a site that uh, just takes creative ideas and puts them up there so they can get a photo for the entry <laughs> into the Out of Home Awards. Well, there's possibly, uh, yes, you could definitely do that. Um, just like there's newspapers that uh, people run their ads into. Uh, well, the yeah. Khan Awards. Yeah. A slightly unscrupulous agency could actually run um, a 10 second creative and uh, enter that into uh, an award. I think, I don't think that would be you know, in the spirit of the game, as they say. Well, it depends how desperate you are for an award. This is true. Yes. But uh, you'd have to find out exactly if it was a digital ad when it was going to appear so you could get the photographer's proof. Absolutely. <laughs> or you could uh, get Very Do to um, run a proof of play for you. There you go. There you go. So, what's that? What's a proof of play? Well, our our creative, uh, our smart creative, actually um, embeds into the creative uh, execution and talks to us. Um, and so we capture every single impression delivered uh, across every single site that that creative has been delivered to. So we, in real time, uh, can give the media owner and the client a view into their campaign in terms of number of sites delivered, share of time, um, accuracy, um, um, bonus sites delivered, um, and all of that uh, in a dashboard that can either be integrated through an API into the overall agency's dashboard, 
or a standalone. Uh, so clients at any given moment can log in and have a look at exactly what their campaigns are doing. So what's uh, the uptake so far of Verodu in the Australian market? Really positive. As I said, we've been going for 12 months. Uh, we had a lot of so proof of concept. Still startup. Still stage. startup stage. We've had a lot of proof of concept. We've got, you know, we're, we're now talking or either are talking to or are working with all of the out-of-home companies, um, working with uh, major clients and agencies. Uh, and sort of it's, it's been an education process. Um, and once we've demonstrated the value um, that this brings to the table, uh, then the take-up has been quite swift. That's great. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're an Australian-based company, um, but we have visions of taking this product, once we've established it here, onto the wider arena, um, North America, Europe. Uh, there, isn't a, as, as a, there isn't a product like this available at the moment. So we think that this is an Australian business that can actually bring this product to the wider world. And... Uh probably justifies the reason for not just setting up another digital out-of-home company, but actually come up with a global um, solution to verification. Absolutely. Um, and we did the, one of the things we looked at was um, we can have a small digital out-of-home business that you know could be very profitable, or we could have a, a global verification business, and we went with uh, door, door number two. Well, um, at least you'd know that if you had a you know successful Australian-based digital out-of-home, someone would come and buy you. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Having said that, a successful global verification company, someone will probably come and buy you. Well, here's, ho here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's uh, already the planned business exit strategy. Well, I couldn't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be crazy if you didn't have an exit strategy uh, for the partners. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's not a small um, medium, is it? Because uh, I remember reading on the site, mm. on the website, in 2017, over 495 million was spent just on digital out-of-home mm. advertising. And that's in Australia. And 16.9 billion worldwide. Yeah. Um, so to give you an example... Uh, in Australia, we're predicted to go to something like $1.2 billion out of home complete uh, by 2022. Uh, and digital out of home um, will be the lion's share of that. Uh, in the UK, uh, the out of home market, depending on who you talk to, is about £1.4 billion. And half of that is digital. Um, in the US, the numbers are very similar in terms of share of market, and it's only going to go in one direction. So yes, the market is huge and growing. It'll be interesting to see the first political party that uses digital out of homes. With Australia and New South Wales facing a uh, election in two weeks' time, mm. and uh, and then a federal election in May, uh, I wonder if it's covered by the um, the electoral uh, laws around not advertising on the day of the election. The block, the blackout certainly impacts. Um, Television and newspapers. Absolutely. Uh, do you know, I don't know the the, um, the specifications around that, but the great I thing about... I wonder if Clive Palmer's going to look at buying all <laughs> the digital uh, uh, sites leading up to every pol uh, every polling station. Well, he's certainly been very active across uh, multiple formats, hasn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, the great thing about digital in that respect is that we can turn it off. Uh, so you, uh, as, a, um, as a political party, you could run a campaign up until the day before 
and then to the blackout to the blackout and then turn it off whereas within an out of home you know that potentially couldn't happen mm. look it sounds like there's nothing but upside here it must be exciting to be back and playing in the out of home uh... absolutely i mean um, as i said you can take uh, um, the boy out of home but you can't take out of home out of the boy and I, i've always had always kept an eye on what's going in the industry and it's very exciting times not just in australia but i think globally for the the whole of the industry um the developments in terms of audience uh, classification overlaying um the various different data sets that you can access to really create uh, a tremendous picture of the audience the flexibility and the creativity offered by the various different technologies that are being brought to bear and then also the the light of transparency that's been shone on it uh, to give clients the reassurance that what they planned and bought is exactly what they got i think all adds up to really um, putting out of home in a very exciting place and i'm really very very excited to be part of that in a small part yeah now look it's a, it sounds really exciting and certainly um you're adding to the accountability and the transparency of the medium, which mm. can only be a positive thing. Absolutely, um, you know, and we and that's exactly what we believe. And we are here to help grow the medium. Mm. Um, and the more transparency uh, we can shine, um, and you know, show the industry that you know, as a medium, we are much more up to speed in transparency accountability than. Yeah, competitive mediums, and that's a great thing for us because, as you know, we grow the medium, everybody grows. Mm. Uh, we've, look, we've run out of time, but thanks for uh, making the time to sit down and have a chat about Out of Home. Not a problem. Uh, very enjoyable. Thanks for having me. I guess uh, with all of this extra transparency, the chance of getting a uh, paper bag full of money has virtually disappeared then. Mm -hmm.